Our scripture lesson is from Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. This is the fourth scene in this very unique (coughs) prophetic book of the Old Testament, which is more a story than it is a prophecy. And in chapter 4, we see Jonah's response to um, the effectiveness of his preaching in the city of Nineveh. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. And God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it here. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for um, this very challenging, uh, fascinating look into the life of your servant Jonah. Um, We are amazed at his response to uh, your call, how he ran rather than, than obeyed, how he had this conversion in the belly of a great fish and then came back to, to do what you asked him to do in the beginning and yet wasn't happy about it when people responded to his message. Uh, we see him angry and frustrated and upset and whining and complaining and we just think, what a poor excuse for a preacher. And then we realize that we're a lot like Jonah. Um, we, we have seen ourselves in the words of this story, and we shall see ourselves again today. So come, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us and empower us to respond faithfully and obediently to whatever you ask of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, have you ever been angry with God? Ever gotten really frustrated and aggravated with God? Have you, have you ever been furious with, with God for some reason? Most of us are afraid to admit such a thing, aren't we? 
That's not the kind of thing you talk about. Because we feel some disapproval from others and we certainly don't want to make God mad at us if we are mad at Him. When I was a young man, maybe about 20 years of age, I struggled for a time with anger towards God when a dear friend of ours, of, of Connie and me, and we were just a very young couple at that time, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Connie grew up loving this woman. Um, when we were teenagers, she was our teacher. She was kind of a mentor for us. And uh, even though she was 40 years older than Connie and me, we spent a lot of time with her and her husband. I pleaded desperately in prayer for her healing. I was watching Oral Roberts. Any of y'all ever remember, you remember Oral Roberts? Yeah, some of us older ones do. Uh, he had a TV show, uh, founded Oral Roberts University, duh, right? Uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And um, he had this, this uh, faith healing ministry. And I watched him on television one Sunday. And he was promising answers for any who called in and prayed with a counselor. So I did. I also sent a contribution to his ministry. But our friend got worse. We were young and naive. We stood by the bed of this dear friend days only days before she died, still hoping and praying for a miracle. She was only 61 years old when cancer claimed her life. Now, I think all of us here in this room have struggled at times with unanswered prayers, haven't we? We've, we've come face to face with un, um, unfulfilled dreams or expectations that, that never were met. Sometimes... Um, we don't get what we want, frankly, because we are selfish and we are misguided. And then there's other times that, that we just fail to see that God's ways are not our ways. That God's plans are not always our plans and that His purposes are never, ever fully within our grasp. We can't fully comprehend what God is up to on a regular basis. This is part of the message of Jonah, especially chapter 4. Now, as you heard uh, Pat Ryder tell the kids this morning, um, the story of Jonah began with his uh, disobedience in chapter 1, his running in the opposite direction of, of Nineveh to uh, a city called Tarshish that was on the coast of Spain at the very ends of the known world. You couldn't go any further than Tarshish. And then in chapter 2, from the belly of the great fish, he prays this powerful prayer, this psalm that, um, that is very much like many of the psalms that are in the Old Testament. Chapter 3, he goes and, and preaches just as God commands him, and he has great results. And God changes his mind. He, he relents, and the judgment does not come to the city and this makes Jonah very unhappy. In verse 1 of chapter 4, we read this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. The Hebrew word here, translated very angry in English, is a strong word. And it means burned with anger. Have you ever been so angry at someone or at some situation that you just burned with anger? Your face may be turned red. 
you were just fuming you were so upset. The message, paraphrased by Eugene Parison, puts this first verse like this. Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. He yelled at God. Now, this is a shocking reaction. In fact, uh, it really cannot be explained rationally because the fact is this preacher is outraged that his message, his prophecy that God gave him, a message from God for this city, was actually very effective. I mean, the whole city responded as he marched through the city, uh, preaching this simple message, calling them to repentance. People began to believe. Even the king, as we saw last week, the, the mayor, if you will, of Nineveh, Uh, stripped his clothes off, put sackcloth and ashes, sat down and cried out and told the people, we all need to repent. And he said, "Let's, let's cover our animals with sackcloth as well and cry out to this God that he might not judge our city. Jonah explains, I just knew you might do something like this. He says, the Ninevites are wicked people. And and God, the only reason they changed their ways is because of fear. They have no intention of following you. They are make-believers. And if, if, if you, how could you do this? How could you extend mercy and compassion to these people? This is just too much. This is why Jonah got so upset. And although Jonah had a relationship with the God of Israel, there was something he valued more than that relationship at this moment in his life. And that was his own agenda, his own prejudices, as well as his nationalistic pride. Now, this is still relevant today, by the way. Um, The Assyrians were a real threat to Israel. They were their worst enemies. We talked earlier in this series about the brutality of of this regime that ruled much of Mesopotamia and the Middle East. And, And the safety and security of Israel was far more important to Jonah, who was a prophet to Israel, than the will of God at this moment. Because the will of God contradicted the sensibilities of Jonah. It didn't fit with his nationalistic pride, with the agenda that he thought God ought to be giving him as one of of the leaders of the nation. In Jonah's thinking, it was a good thing when God promised judgment for Nineveh. It was not a good thing when God spared them. In all my years of ministry, I have encountered a good bit of resistance to the idea that the church is called to cross-cultural ministry. Doing ministry with people that are unlike us, that are outside of our comfort zone, that racially, economically, even nationalistically are different than us. People that are foreigners in our thinking. Uh, I've I've encountered the same kind of prejudice when it comes to international missions of of any kind. I I just thought of all the arguments people have given me over the last 30 years for not doing something that involved risk, that involved breaking down a wall, uh, that involved crossing into another culture. Uh, I remember when I took some youth 
Um, it's been nearly 30 years ago to the south side of Chicago for a mission trip for just three days. Um, in, in what some of the parents perceived as a very dangerous endeavor. It was in a little country church in Paint Lick, Kentucky, a tobacco community. Uh, a lot of these kids had never been outside of, of Kentucky, and I took them to this inner city of Chicago. And, and I had parents saying to me, you know, preacher, charity starts at home. Uh, why go to this dangerous neighborhood in Chicago when there's poor people right here in Kentucky we could help? And then many years later, God gave Connie and me a call to go to Cambodia, which was very upsetting to our mothers, right, Connie? Yes, I don't think either one of them had a moment of peace the whole time we were overseas. And uh, other family were, were not particularly excited about this. And, and a lot of church people uh, had questions. They said, why are you leaving us for Cambodia? I mean, we have people here that need to hear about God's love just like they do in Southeast Asia. And then just recently, I had someone say to me, basically, why don't we just build a house here in Georgetown? There's plenty of poor people that need affordable housing here. Why are we sending a team to Guatemala to build a house for someone down there? Looks like it'd be a safer, more reasonable thing to do. Well, why do we do these kinds of things as a church? Because God commands us to. This is who we are as the people of God in this world. God told Jonah, go to Nineveh. Talk about a cross-cultural experience. Go to your worst enemy's hometown and tell them they need to repent. John 3, 16, we all learned that in Sunday school. God so loved the world, the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, the scripture says. Matthew 28 says, make disciples of all the nations. All the nations. Acts 1.8, Jesus said before he ascended to the Father, you shall be my witnesses in your hometown, in your home county of Judea, but beyond that, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, so underneath, I think, these comments that people have made to me over the years, thoughts that, that no doubt many of us have but don't express, is this nationalistic pride, this attitude of self-righteousness. Why? If we being a Christian nation, why do we need to go to places where we might not even be welcomed, where it could be dangerous? Soon after the devastating attacks of September 11th, 2001, I recall being in the chair at, at my dentist office in Lexington. This guy was a faithful, generous member of the church. He had crosses and scriptures adorning the walls of his office. I mean, he loved the Lord, there's no doubt about it. And he said to me, I just don't understand why we don't nuke the Middle East and put an end to all of those, Mus those Muslims. Do you? Now, I immediately thought, but could not say because he had his hands in my mouth. Um, I immediately thought about this encounter that Jesus had with his disciples, with James and John. Do you know what their nickname was, by the way? Sons of Thunder. Yeah, the Sons of Thunder. Um, in, in Luke chapter 9, 
and, and they had come to a Samaritan village and he sent, sent the boys up ahead to make preparations before he got there. And the village said, no way, we don't want to have anything to do with you all. You're not staying here for the night. And James and John got so aggravated, so angry, they said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. But to save them. Jonah has a similar view to James and John. As a missionary preacher to a heathen city, he should have been happy that the Ninevites had moved closer to the God of Israel. Instead, he, he goes outside the city walls, as Pat told the kids so well this morning, and he pouts, hoping, hoping as he's sitting out there and looking back at the city to the west, that, that the fire of heaven will rain down on all of them. Jonah is furious with God even as he acknowledges the complexity of God's character and God's ways. Quoting from Exodus 34, Jonah says this, I knew, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. How did he know that? Shoot, he'd been reading his Bible, hadn't he? He knew the Old Testament. He knew the law of Moses. And yet... He didn't want God's ways or God's plan. He wanted his own. And despite all this, God is very patient with Jonah, uh, who, who is, by the way, demonstrating the same resistance to God's mission that resulted in him fleeing and ending up in the belly of the great fish in chapter 1 and 2. Uh, however, this time, God does not send another storm uh, and a big fish to counsel his prophet. God asked Jonah a question. He said, is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah continues to boil in the desert sun. So God graciously and lovingly supplies this leafy, leafy plant, this vine, to come up over him and to cool him down, literally and emotionally. Jonah is happy and thankful for the shade, no doubt about it. And he falls asleep. But the next morning when the sun rises and it starts to warm up again, God tests Jonah's faith, his obedience. And he sends a worm that eats through the stem of this plant and it begins to wither and die. And there he is left to bake in the sun again and he becomes angry again. And I can hear Jonah singing, Doom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Doom, despair, and agony on me. That's one of the, Thank you very much. I spent way too much time watching Hee Haw as a kid. <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, that is one of the few poems that I've committed to memory in my life. 
um, and it served me well. But Jonah longs to die. He is filled with despair. He's depressed. And God says to him, seriously, Jonah, you are depressed and angry over a plant? Shouldn't I feel compassion and sorrow over 120,000 people who are living in spiritual darkness? The Hebrew literally means here they didn't know their right hand from their left. This reminds me of, of Jesus riding triumphantly on the back of, of a colt into the city of Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. And after he reaches a certain point, he, he stops there. Apparently the crowds had dissipated and he looks at the city and he begins to weep and to cry. But over the spiritual blindness that will lead ultimately to the judgment of the holy city one day. Luke 19. This reminds me of Jesus who five days later on Good Friday stretches out his arms, is nailed to a cross and dies for the sins of the world and in agony he cries out, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they are doing. They don't get it at all. Tim Keller writes, Jesus is the prophet Jonah should have been. Yet, of course, he is infinitely more than that. Jesus did not merely weep for us. He died for us. Jonah went outside the city hoping to witness its condemnation. But Jesus Christ went outside the city to die on a cross to accomplish its salvation. Glory to God. And there are countless people today, hopefully you're not one of them, who don't know who or what they are living for. They are walking in spiritual darkness. They're wasting their time on vain and worthless pursuits. They are spiritually stupid. Let's just be blunt about it. They're spiritually stupid, yet God doesn't look down on them and say, you idiot, you imbecile. We think about others that way all the time, especially people that don't share our politics, right? We watch them on TV and say, you idiot. Uh, that is so stupid. Uh, people that stand in our way at work or in the family, we call them idiots. Somebody cuts us off in traffic, what are they? Idiots, right? You get the picture. Americans are really good at being angry and self-righteous. Amen? Yes, we are. Jonah 4 is much like the parable Jesus taught about a wayward son. When the prodigal son repents, he comes to his senses and he returns home. The father is thrilled. Uh, he, he restores him and then some. But the older self-righteous brother, what, what happens to him? He gets angry. Listen to what he says in Luke 15. All these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. Luke 15, 28 through 30. So like the father in Jesus' parable, God calls forth, from Jonah, humility and kindness and mercy in compassion, even for his enemies. 
because, as Pat told the kids, God loves them all. The, the book of Jonah ends abruptly, leaving Jonah and us to ponder the mercies of God. We don't, we don't know what happened next. We don't know the rest of the story, do we? It just ends with a question. Did Jonah repent again? Did Jonah uh, have a new heart, a new life, a new ministry? We have no idea. He, like us, is called to think about it, to ponder the mystery of God's ways and his compassion. And this is what we do, friends, every time we have the Lord's Supper together. Are you angry with God? Are you questioning his purposes for your life, the direction that your life seems to have taken? You know, you all are well aware, most of you, that over the last six months or so, I've been struggling with a migraine syndrome. And uh, this last week, had a few days of retreat, and three of those days had a terrible headache. Just, just really miserable. Uh, I had a headache yesterday, a good bit of the day. I felt one kind of coming on early this morning. Uh, thankfully, it's, it's dissipated. But, um, you know, trying all these different treatments and medicines, uh, many, many tests, making sure there's nothing up there that's not supposed to be there, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and I'm still, I still got a hurting head. And it's hurting way too much. And finding relief is very, very difficult. Now, it would be easy for me to get angry and frustrated with God in the midst of this. But, but I'm determined not to be angry, but, but to be surrendered, to be yielded to God and allow His grace to fill up all the weak and broken places of my life, knowing knowing how much that he loves me, knowing that he's got a purpose for me that has yet to be fulfilled, even at my age, even with retirement in view, to know that God is not finished with me, just as God wasn't finished with Jonah. This morning you have an opportunity as you come forth for Holy Communion to receive the gift of his grace. It's, it always I just marvel at the fact that, that at this altar... We come and receive something as common as bread and juice that are actually a means of God's grace. We believe in our tradition that it's more than an act of remembrance. It is, it is a way to receive from God whatever you need in your life. Come with faith. Invite the Holy Spirit to, to make these common things become uncommon. To make these natural things become supernatural means of God's love and compassion and grace in your life so that when you go forth from this place today you can be a person that exudes that that same quality and complexity frankly of, of God's nature let's um let's all prepare to sing I want you to stand as we sing this song um, that Jeremy is going to lead and and as he's preparing to lead us I want to say a prayer over us God we thank you for this study of the life of Jonah, for the blessing this prophet's life has been to us, uh, we have learned much from his failures. And we see ourselves uh, in, in his life. And we pray that, um, that we'll take to heart this wonderful story from your word that is certainly more than a big fish tale.
Thank you, Lord, for your grace that renews us in Holy Communion. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and move in this body in these next moments as we share in the Lord's Supper together. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.